Bible, turn to um, Acts chapter something or other. Um, Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, um, the words will come up. Uh, behind me. My name's Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at King's. My privilege to be uh, speaking this morning. Baptism Sundays are like one of the best Sundays of the year. They're absolutely uh, brilliant and it is great to have Abby. Is Abby around? Well done, Abby's getting baptised today. Lily? Where's Lily? Oh, Lily's gone out with youth. Well, anyway, she's coming back in for that. Andrew, is Andrew out with youth? Well done, Andrew, you shrunk down in your chair. It's great, great to see you. Maisie? Youth? Okay, I'm not doing very well on this. Jay? Lidmilla? Well done, brilliant. So we're so excited to um, be baptising you guys. Just before we dive in and we have a look at what the Bible has to say about baptism and things like that, I just want to thank you so much for every single one of you um, who has given us comments regarding the proposal of Sam and Alid coming into eldership. Um, The overwhelming theme of the comments um, has been absolutely positive, a real endorsement um, from you guys. And so with that weight of endorsement... um, Um, from your comments, and to be honest, myself and Steve, our own sense of uh, uh, God being in it, um, we're going to be looking to bring these guys into eldership on Wednesday, the 21st of November, um, when Dave Holden will be down with us for a church meeting. So if you've got your diaries, Wednesday, the 21st of November. Now, when you watch these guys being baptised in a few moments, what you're going to notice is all different types of ages, all different types of backgrounds, to be honest, all different types of experiences of how they um, came to meet with God. And when you read the Bible, you'll find exactly the same thing going on in there as well. You'll find people from different backgrounds, different walks of life. But what happens is they have an encounter with God, which is common, and then they go on and get baptised Um, which again is something that they have in common. So this morning we're going to be looking at different people, different stories, um, but the same God. And we're going to briefly look at two accounts from the Bible where people have dramatically different encounters with God, but it leads both of them to being baptised. The first person we're going to look at is a man called Saul. And I don't quite know how to describe him. He's like like an, an enforcer. He's like uh, a, a, an official enforcer. He works for the government, but, but not like the police would work in today's sort of thing. He um, is a pretty violent man. He's pretty aggressive. He cares an awful lot about what he does. And let me just read you something of his um, story from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if they found any that were belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Then three days later, um, we pick up the story in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. 
And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. This is a pretty dramatic story. It's not sort of like the everyday stuff that just, you know, just a trip to Morrison's or, I don't know, going off to work. This is, this is a little bit um, abnormal. Paul was, like I say, a bit of an enforcer for the leaders in Jerusalem. He did their dirty work. Um, it says in verse 1, he was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he really, he really did not like Christians. So if you're a Christian here today, you would not want to come across Saul pre the road to Damascus sort of thing. It would not have been good for us. He'd finished a job in Jerusalem, which was rounding up all the Christians he could find and putting them in prison or murdering them. He'd done a really good job at that. So he decides he's going to travel north to Damascus, which would have taken about two weeks on foot. And as he approaches Damascus, there is a dramatic supernatural interruption to his journey. I mean, he is not expecting it. He's going to Damascus to cause havoc, but on the road something happens that completely changes the outcome of his life. Light flashes, a voice speaks, he's called out by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has encountered the risen Lord Jesus, who we've been singing about this morning. It's totally supernatural, it's in an instant, it's life-changing. I don't know whether you believe supernatural stuff happens, um, but the Bible is full of supernatural stuff. And the reality is, actually, quite a lot of supernatural stuff goes on in Kings in these days. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had an evening meeting on a Friday night. And we were singing songs like we were just then. And um, a friend of mine, Joe, she was speaking. And on the back of that, we prayed for people who were sick. And two people with quite severe back problems were pretty much instantaneously healed and had no pain after that. One of them, they'd been suffering with back pain for a couple of weeks. Someone else, it had been a lot longer than that. And it was just a complete change. I don't think we were even particularly praying for it, but God broke in. So we live in a world where there is flesh and blood and you see stuff all around you. You see the material in front of you, but actually we also live in a supernatural world. Well, the stuff we can't see, things that go on you can't just explain by the everyday, um, it's, a, it's pointing towards God. Three days later anyway, three days after this supernatural encounter, Saul is in the city and a follower of Jesus, a Christian called Ananias, goes to see Saul. He prays that he might see again because he's been blinded by the bright light. He sees instantaneously Ananias then talks to him a little bit more, and he gets baptised. Now, this, this is a dramatic experience. It's nothing like the experience I had when I came to know Christ. But let me tell you the story of another person who came to know Jesus. This is a lady called Lydia, who was a local businesswoman. And this is Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who came together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It's actually the same guy 
that had that dramatic conversion where he's now telling other people about Jesus. After she was baptised and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come, stay at my ha- come, come to my house and stay. This is a different instance. It <coughs> takes place in a, a Greek city called Philippi. It was a Roman colony. And we're introduced to a Turkish woman, a Turkish businesswoman called Lydia. The town she came from was famous for their dyes, not, not you know, the, the dye you put material in and it changes colour rather than any other dyeing um, that you may have uh, in mind. And she traded purple cloth, um, which was known to be very, very expensive. So she was pretty well off. She was probably quite rich. As she went off to the place of prayer, somewhere she'd have gone quite normally, a sort of an everyday occurrence, or certainly a weekly occurrence. It was about a mile outside the city of Philippi. She bumps into this man, Paul, and some other guys who are travelling with him. And he starts to talk about this Jesus. And it says this really interesting phrase. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. There were no flashing lights No falling to the ground, no visitation of Jesus. It was much more every day. But actually just as dramatic for the internal transformation that took place in Lydia's life. It's just as valued, just as authentic. And the result of this encounter is that she responds to the message and she too gets baptised. So what we find here is two different people with two incredibly different stories. But they both meet with Jesus and they both end up getting baptised. I just want to spend the rest of the time that I've got explaining what it means to meet with Jesus. And then secondly, why these amazing people are getting baptised today. What it, what it means to them. So in two different ways, both Lydia and Saul encounter Jesus. And they come to understand something of who he is. And what he came to do. And the first thing they realised is that meeting with Jesus isn't about philosophy. It's not about following some rules. It's about a relationship with God. And relationships are really, really important, aren't they? I mean, the reality is, for a number of people here today, the reason you've come is because of those who are getting baptised. You might not believe what they believe in, but you've come along anyway because you want to support them. Because you care about them. So relationships are really, really important. For Saul, it was dramatic light, sound, falling on the ground and blindness. For Lydia, it was hearing, understanding and a growing belief. Both were powerful, both life-changing, but different. But it isn't how it happens that's important. It's about who we meet that is important. You know, we as human beings are designed to have a relationship with God. We're designed to follow and enjoy knowing him. But the Bible says, and and it's true, that each of us, every single person here, every single person in Hastings, Bexhill, in the nation, any nation in the world, every single person has rejected God and we've chosen to live for ourselves. That's that's broken our relationship with him. 
And the root of that is sin. It's, it's sort of living for myself. I want to live for me. I want to be the king of my own life. And it creates a barrier that I cannot navigate round. It creates an obstacle that I cannot overcome. I can't. However hard I try, I might try and do it with good works. I might try and do it by being kind. I don't know. I could try all sorts. I could try, I try and educate my way over it. Nothing can separate, nothing can recreate that relationship with God through our own effort or what we come to do. It's a big problem. And because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we remain unforgiven, unable to change, and we continue under the shadow of death. But what Lydia and Saul came to realise, the great news, that's why it's called good news, the great, great news is that Jesus made a way, he made a route to navigate, to overcome the obstacle of sin in a way that no one and nothing else can. He came with the express purpose of giving his life as a ransom for many. So the reason that I can sing um, at the top of my very bad voice and glorify God is, is not because I've earned my way back in, but because God has created a way back in. I don't deserve it any more than anyone else here. But I've come to realise that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he didn't do it for his own personal benefit, but he did it for mine. And he did it for every single person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus claimed to be the unique son of God. He assumed authority to forgive sins and said that one day he would judge the world. His character was flawless and he lived a sinless life. And as far as his teaching went, there isn't any teaching that has ever occurred that has even come close to the teaching that Jesus gave. He died Three days later, he rose again and he conquered death. The evidence of the physical resurrection of Jesus is really, really strong because for the next, is it five or six weeks, he is seen by over 500 people. That isn't bad evidence that someone is back from the dead. You know, it's not just a few close mates. That's more than the number of people here in this auditorium would have seen the physical resurrected body person, living person, Jesus Christ, walking, talking, eating, absolutely incredible. And the result of his death and resurrection was freedom from guilt, addiction, and fear for us. I'll say that again. Freedom from guilt, addiction, and fear for us. And freedom to know God, to experience his love, and a power to change. A power to change. So what do I have to do to accept that gift? We need to believe. We need to have faith in all we know about Jesus. It starts with us asking for God to forgive us. If, if you don't know what else for, for self-centeredness. I'm living for myself. I've lived with I in the centre and you, you can't be a follower of Jesus if I remains in the centre. 
So we ask forgiveness, we repent, we turn around and we say, I'm going to walk the other way. I'm going to put you, God, right in the centre of my life. We need to ask for forgiveness for anything we're aware that we've done wrong. Turn from it. We need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. And we need to accept his gift of salvation and ask him to come into our lives by his spirit. And if you want to, those that are being baptised have done this. They prayed, probably prayed a prayer a little bit like this. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Sometimes it's good just to mention things, to name stuff. This is what those who are being baptised have done. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, this isn't just a superficial prayer you sort of turn up, you choose to do on a Sunday. This is absolutely life-changing. This is really saying, actually, I used to be walking that way. I'm now going to walk another way. And Jesus said, actually, if you want to come after me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. That basically means I'm going to live for you, Lord God. Everything goes on the line when it comes to following Jesus. And so for these guys, when they're being baptised in a few moments' time, what they're doing is they are outworking really that prayer and that decision that they've already made. You know, because the reality is, I know there could be someone sat here, maybe Paul. You know, he's sat here and he's thinking, you know what? What I've just heard, I want to respond to Jesus. And he can do that in his own heart. He can pray it under his breath. He can make it a meaningful prayer. And in that moment, if he means it, it's mixed with faith. Do you know what? That's a life-changing combination going on there. But no one else here would know what Paul had done. But it's still valid. It's still real. God sees. God knows. God hears. God understands. But no one knows. But when it comes to baptism and getting in this water, you can't do that on your own. That's something that we witness. It's something that we see. This is an outward demonstration of that internal decision that each have made. So for Abby, as she gets baptised, there's probably friends and family and relatives here, and you are so, so welcome. It's brilliant you're here. You're getting a witness that decision that Abby made between her and God. So important that it was, but now we all get included. We all get to see that she's made that decision. I'm putting Jesus first. It is a powerful, powerful thing. There's nothing special about the water. In actual fact, the only thing about the water that is special is that it's colder than normal. Because the heater doesn't work. So we're going to break the ice in a minute. We've made sure there's no polar bears in there or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah, it's cold. So the only thing special about the water is that it's cold. It's not holy water or anything like that. When we read about baptism in the New Testament, what we find is the, 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 the Greek word used is baptizo, which means to submerge. So can you imagine just as Lydia's cloth, you know the um, uh, 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 purple cloth cellar we just read about, 
I guess she would have got some cloth and it would have been a different colour. And she would have got the cloth and she would have baptised it into a, into a vat of purple dye and it would have come out completely different colour. You wouldn't have known it's the same piece of cloth. It was so different. That's what happened to all those people that are being baptised this morning. They were included, baptised into Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, they died with him. In some ways, this is a bit like a funeral service. My old life has gone. It's over. It's done with. I'm finished with it. Just as you bury a dead body, so they are under the water. I was going to say, I was going to say left under the water, but that may cause them to fear a little bit. They don't stay under the water very long at all millisecond before they come back up out but it's like their burial but then as they come up out of the water just as Jesus Christ was the rape was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the father so too has Lily and Maisie they have as well they have been raised by the glorious power of Jesus Christ to live a new life for him baptism doesn't save But it's a powerful demonstration of what has already taken place in their lives. It is absolutely wonderful. For all those getting baptised today, it's their choice. The Bible says, repent and be baptised. It's like a first step for Christians. Once you become a Christian, it's a first step. But actually for every single person being baptised today, they've made a decision to be baptised. As Christians, they see that is the right next step for them to take. So really the, the only thing, the only qualification to be baptised is that you are a believer in Jesus. So we, we wouldn't baptise babies here because a baby can't make that decision to follow Jesus. But, but you'll notice that some of the guys being baptised are quite young. But we've, we've spoken with them, we've checked. Now they've got a personal faith in Jesus. They have got a trust in him. Jay is getting baptised today. That is absolutely brilliant. He has a personal faith in Jesus. He might be a youngster, but he loves Jesus with all of his heart. That is why we are baptising him today. So this is a wonderful celebration. I don't know if you've ever celebrated at a funeral before, but well, this is a bit like a funeral service saying, old life has gone. New life has come. Now we're going to celebrate what God has done in each of these individuals' lives. Can I invite the band back up, please? Won't we stand? What's going to happen in a few moments is um, we're going to sing another song. Um, While that song is being sung, if you've got children, if I can ask you to go grab your children, bring them back into here. Um, If you can bring them with you, do make sure they don't run off into coffee box or whatever. We want to be together as family for the baptism part, which is going to take place in a few moments' time. What I just want to do while the band are getting ready, I just want, could we just put that prayer back up, Laura, on the screen? I just love every single one of us right now in this auditorium just to take this opportunity to just recommit our lives to Jesus. This is a great opportunity for us to remember what happened when we became Christians and in a sense just re-say that prayer to Christ. For others of us, we, we may never have said that prayer before, but you know what? 
You want to use that as an opportunity for the first time to say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. I want to put him first in my life. So I'm just going to read it out to you right now. Feel free to join with me under your breath um, as I'm praying it. Actually, why don't we all pray together out loud? You up for that? Yeah? Why don't we pray all together out loud? Um, And just make this a fresh commitment to Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Pause for a moment. Just have a think. What things do you know go forward in that area? Let's move it on. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you want to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus. If I can ask you to come and talk to Paul at the end, he's going to lead us through in the whole area of baptisms. And he'd love just to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's celebrate, let's worship God, let's enjoy him together, and then we're going to have the baptisms.